This season of Sincerely Human is sponsored by the Riley Sway Foundation. Through community-focused programs, Riley Sway inspires teens to lead with empathy and kindness. From connecting student leaders to awarding grants for projects that amplify kindness in local communities, Riley Sway Foundation equips the next generation of leaders with the tools they need to make a positive impact in the world. Please stay tuned for Kindness Calling, our post-script segment featuring the remarkable teens from Riley Sway Foundation. People from the Global South aren't helpless. I've had so many encounters of people saying, oh, we have to be a voice for the voiceless and fight for the people in the Global South. But the people in the Global South, the people in the Philippines aren't voiceless. We're not helpless. We're not people that you need to fight for. We're people that you fight alongside with. You're listening to Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. Camila Rente, CEO of Human Group Media, and your host. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Mitzi Janelle Tan, a full-time climate justice activist based in Metro Manila, Philippines. Growing up in one of the most vulnerable countries to climate change, Mitzi experienced its consequences at an early age. I was very close to the environment, even at a very young age, because I grew up in a kind of rural area. And so there were a lot of open areas and open spaces and green spaces and lots of large trees. And whenever there were typhoons, we experienced the flooding and the fear of, of the next storm surge just coming up and consuming our community. But Mitzi wasn't aware that this experience was connected to what she was learning in school. Because the way that they taught climate change in school was very technical and foreign and alienating and not empowering at all, telling us about melting ice caps and polar bears and not about the typhoons that we were already experiencing. But because my teacher said that climate change is caused by smoking, which we know isn't true, But I also had a lung problem and I knew that smoking was bad for me. It actually latched on to me and I started going up to people who were smoking and people who were polluting and telling them about greenhouse gas emissions and global warming and all of this. But of course, as I learned that the climate crisis isn't actually caused by smoking and I realized, you know, that it did still feel very far away from me because it still didn't talk about what you were already experiencing as a country. It kind of just faded away in the background. It wasn't until 2017 that Mitzi realized the real-life consequences of climate change. That year, she spoke to indigenous leaders who were being displaced by the military for trying to protect their land. They sought refuge in the University of the Philippines, where Mitzi studied, because the military wasn't allowed on campus premises. I was able to talk to an indigenous leader of our land. He was telling us about how dangerous it is to be an environmental defender and environmental activist here in the Philippines. But ever so simply after he said all those atrocities, he shrugged and kind of chuckled even and said, that's why we have no choice but to fight back. And my bubble of privilege was sort of 
first, I realized that I had this quote-unquote privilege to choose to be an activist. When there are people who are so forced and pushed into activism that not becoming an activist is even worse, has even worse consequences. And so who am I to not join the struggle of our environmental defenders for protecting the planet. And as I actively learned more about the environmental emergency that we are in and stumbled upon the climate crisis once again, I realized that he was right all along, that we have no choice but to be activists. We have no choice but to fight back because this is our planet that we are fighting for. So because of that encounter with the indigenous peoples, I looked more into the environmental emergency and look more into the climate crisis and we were already organizing march for science protests here in the philippines which is this movement that was started in the u.s i think because trump said in 2017 that climate change wasn't real so scientists started to organize soon after that youth around the world also created the movement fridays for future the movement began in august 2018 after then-15-year-old Greta Thunberg and other young activists sat in front of the Swedish parliament every school day for three weeks. And in 2019, that's when we started Youth Advocates for Climate Action Philippines, which is basically the Fridays for Future movement of the country. And we kind of just started raising awareness in schools, but also organizing strikes and actions and protests and just finding whatever way that we can raise awareness about the climate crisis here in our own country, but also change the narrative of the climate crisis globally, one that used to focus on the climate crisis as a problem of the future into one that's already recognized as a problem of today. In her activism, Mitzi seeks to challenge the narrative around people of the global south. The Global South is a term often used to identify lower-income countries that are located in Africa, Asia, Oceania, Latin America, and the Caribbean. I think one of the greatest challenges as an activist that I've encountered is having to change that narrative that people from the Global South aren't helpless. I've had so many encounters of people saying, oh, we have to be a voice for the voiceless and fight for the people in the global south. But the people in the global south, the people in the Philippines aren't voiceless. We're not helpless. We're not people that you need to fight for. We're people that you fight alongside with. And that is something that we have to recognize because otherwise we end up with the same kind of quote-unquote activism that just reinforces the colonialist capitalist mindset that brought us to the climate crisis in the first place. And it's really difficult because sometimes it's so subtle that you don't even realize that that's what's happening. And sometimes it's so directly outright that it just hurts so much and it's just difficult to process sometimes. But it's something that we have to realize that we have to tackle alongside all the carbon dioxide emission cuts and the demands for reparations and demands for adaptation. It can't just be about the extreme weather event. It has to also be about the system in place that has caused all the injustices and oppression and the climate crisis has been born out of. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges that I've experienced as a climate activist. Mitzi's commitment to climate justice led her to COP26. The latest United Nations Climate Summit took place in Glasgow in late 2021. COP26 
was both so overwhelming but so underwhelming at the same time. There was so much energy being taken away from youth activists, especially from the global south, to fight for a place so that our voices are heard. But the people who were prioritized and listened to and treated as VIPs were the very people that caused the climate crisis in the first place. We saw that the fossil fuel industry had the largest delegation, bigger than any other country. We saw that the people who were invited and felt welcome were the billionaires that have been causing the climate crisis. And then it all comes up with just a text that falls too short. Global North countries once again stopping any real action and delaying any climate finance and reparations that Global South countries deserve. But then at the same time, you have the people outside every day. There were people, civil society members, youth activists coming together and collaborating and trying to figure out a way to change the world. And I think that's something that's so beautiful that you see the stark difference of these people in business suits and trying to make sense of the numbers of the economy when talking about the climate crisis. And then you have the people outside who are truly just fighting for our lives. Fighting to change the systems that fuel the climate crisis can be extremely difficult. But Mitzi believes that the fight is worth it. She wants to extend that message to adults. I would talk to the parent that isn't allowing their child to be an activist. And I would tell them to open their eyes that their child is fighting for their life, that their child is fighting for their community, that their child is fighting for a greater future and a better world and society for everyone. And that's something that you shouldn't get in the way of but instead support and join the fight. Mitzi also has a message for you. Listen to people and listen to the science. It's so important that we don't just limit ourselves to carbon dioxide emissions and scientific reports, but we listen to people outside of our own bubble, outside of our own community, because essentially that's what activism is about, going beyond yourself and going beyond other people, decentering yourself and listening and amplifying the voices of the more marginalized because the resistance of the most marginalized people is also so strong and there's so much for us to learn from that. And that's really what we need. We need that kind of collaboration between people. I think that fighting for climate justice is an act of kindness because that's the only way that we can achieve climate justice. Climate justice is about dismantling all the systems of oppression and injustice that's both amplifying the climate crisis and are getting amplified by the climate crisis. And the only way out of it is kindness. The only way to keep fighting is through love. And that isn't to say that we shouldn't be angry or we shouldn't be sad or we shouldn't be afraid. But when I fight for climate justice, it comes from a place of love, love for the people and the movement and life. And that's why I'm angry and that's why I'm sad and that's why I'm scared because I know that there's so much greater things to fight for and to live for. There's this quote that I absolutely love from my friends C in Ireland and they say that climate justice is fighting for a future that's gentler, a gentle future for all of us where we can just be at peace with one another and that is the future and the world that I'm trying to build with my friends and with other activists across the world.
you want to connect with Mitzi, you can follow her on Twitter or Instagram at Mitzi Janelle. Link is in our show notes. In this edition of Kindness Calling, we spoke with Pahonu Coleman, a young leader from Hawaii and a Call for Kindness fellow. I am the founder of Nakukui Owai Manalo. Nakukui Owai Manalo is a nonprofit organization that looks at increasing cultural identity, um, specifically for our youth in Hawaii and even deeper, the youth of the Waimanalo community. And we do so by educating OPO or um, teenagers through documentaries or videos. And we, we like to post them on social media or YouTube. Our videos have reached over 500,000 people. And one of our newer projects, which Riley's Way was able to fund a part of, is our Ko'olele project. And that project is actually um, physically engaging youth. And that is taking in youth and um, they come to us once a month and they just learn about the Hawaiian culture through chants, hula. Here, Pahonu shares a little bit about their community at Waimanalo in Hawaii. Waimanalo is a very unique community. We are majority of Native Hawaiians, but we have so many different races in our community and people from different paths of life. We are blessed to be a part of the windward side of Oahu, which is more of the countryside. And our community is uh, rich in storytelling. And we're well known for, um, in the name of Waimanalo, it's known for our potable water in the olden days where um, you would be gathering water from just the streams. While Pahanu's mission is deeply rooted in history, the work he does through his organization is also very much an initiative that aims to look forward. I was inspired to start this organization or this group because I saw that due to, you know, colonization of our Hawaiian islands, a lot of the history and a lot of our stories of our indigenous people, it was really um, kind of hidden. At one point, the Hawaiian language was banned, actually. So I wanted to, in a way, decolonize and be able to change that and reconnect to their culture. Um, in hopes that um, it will create more kinder and more community contributors when they know where they come from. But I saw that it was something that is lacking, um, and that is identity. And I knew the only way for Opio to be confident in their identity, teenagers to be um, confident in their identity, is to know where they come from, or mo'okuauhau, or genealogy. In pursuing his work at the organization, kindness is a value and a trait that drives him. Here, Pahonu shares how it's embedded in his culture and identity. One of the definitions for aloha is being kind, to show aloha or to show love or to show kindness to someone. For us, aloha is the center of our way of living. And for me, aloha is kindness. And in order to, in a way, be able to take in new knowledge, about our identity and our culture. Um, we have to have this certain, in Hawaiian, kulana, where it's uh, that kind of way you should be when you are taking in valuable knowledge. Because for us, whenever you're learning something about our culture, you have to be in a respectful and in a kind mindset. Because if you're in an angry mindset, 
that knowledge will be taught to you in an angry way. But if we're kind to each other, I mean, it's a golden rule, right? It's, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. And if you want to be treated kindly, you have to be kind. As a young person that's trying to connect generations and advance positive social change in his community, Pahonu has a message for other leaders like himself. Being in uncomfortable spaces is only a benefit. It's going to feel uncomfortable starting off, especially when there is uh, somewhat still trauma, historical trauma on so much different races, you know. And being uncomfortable just, I feel it encourages people to make change. Because when we're uncomfortable, we don't like sitting, right? We don't like sitting in an uncomfortable position. We're always trying to move and find a comfortable position where we can all sit and where we can all be united. Um, so uncomfortable spaces are good spaces. But if you're in an uncomfortable space for too long, you need to reach out because um, I think that I know Riley's Way Foundation is a place I can come to when I'm feeling uncomfortable or I don't have an answer for this uncomfortable situation. That's the biggest thing is being in uncomfortable spaces, but not always staying there. If you want to learn more about Nakukui Owai Manalo, you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Links are in our show notes. That's it for Kindness Calling. Thanks again to our podcast sponsor, Riley Sui Foundation. On January 20th, Riley Sway Foundation opened its annual national initiative, The Call for Kindness. Teens from all around the country can submit their projects and ideas that are designed to drive change and inspire kindness in their communities. Winners will be given $3,000 each to help implement their projects with their school or nonprofit partners and will participate in a year-long leadership fellowship. To learn more about The Call for Kindness and other life-changing programs at Riley Sway Foundation, please head on over to rileysway.org. Links are in our show notes.